I think I'll embarrass Walt a little bit. Um, he doesn't mind. Uh, even though we've said that we would never do this, uh, I, I'll do it one time. Yeah, maybe again sometime. But today for sure. Uh, when we started the series on paradox, I wanted the first message in the series to be on the kingdom of God because that's a concept that people just don't understand, don't get. Uh, I know we looked at it very quickly last week. I hope that you'll take an opportunity to maybe think about it. We're going to certainly be talking about it a lot in, in the weeks and months to come. But as we were in our planning session, um, I said, you know, there's, I don't know any songs that talk about already and not yet and, and coming and already here and, you know, those things. And the next day, Walt came in and he had written that song. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's neat to have people around that, uh, that can produce things that really make an impact and then to stand back here and hear all of you guys sing that song and worship with it. It's, uh, it's really amazing. God is good. God is good. Um, you see on there, on your, on your little uh, handout, that the message title today is Don't Worry, Be Happy. I didn't know we were going to have shark music. I thought it was going to be like Don't Worry, Be Happy. But... Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm here to tell you, don't worry, be happy. And that's what Jesus was telling his uh, disciples in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew 5, I'm going to read this. You know, is there anybody here that doesn't own a Bible? I mean, you just don't have a Bible. And, and I mean one that is easily readable, like in a modern-day language. Not necessarily a King James, but some modern-day language. Anybody? Anybody else? Because I don't want you to go away from here without, without one that you can read and understand and follow along. And that's the version that we use in here most of the time. So um, the only, only thing that we ask as we give those out, is that you use it, <laughs> and I'm sure you will. Uh, write in it. It doesn't, uh, it's not going to matter if you mark it up and write it up. That's okay. That's okay. Um, it is God's Word. It is infallible, but He intends for us to use it, and if writing in it, highlighting it, making notes in the margins helps you to remember what He said, do it. Do it. He's not going to jump down and, and uh, snap off your head to do that. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a powerful uh, uh, portion of Scripture, and we're going to break it open in just a little bit and take a look at it. Also, uh, as we were looking at the planning session for this, I, I told the, the group of guys that um, I wanted to um, maybe use as, as an example uh, up here on the board and, and for you to come in contact with X-15. You know what X-15 is? Some of you may remember X-15. Nobody? Nobody? X-15 was a rocket that was uh, used to, before the space program to try to prove that people could go faster than the speed of sound. Up until that point, nobody had ever been faster than the speed of sound. It was just an equation on a chalkboard. It was just something that had been thought up. It was a theory. And when they once began experimenting with planes or rockets going faster than the speed of sound, they ran into some difficulties. Um, the rockets disintegrated as they approached the sound barrier, which is 735 miles per hour. Um, many of the rockets crashed. We lost um, four, five, six test pilots, excellent test pilots that were killed as they were trying to break this sound barrier. And I remember that there was a movie, I couldn't remember the name of it, I couldn't remember when it was out or who was in it, but I did find it on the internet. It was called X-15, the rocket ship that cha challenged outer space. And it came out in 1961. And it starred a young startup actor named Charles Bronson. And uh, what, what the purpose of this was to, was to show what had taken place as these astronauts, or they weren't even called astronauts then, they were called rocket men, as these rocket men tested this vehicle to see if they could honestly break through the sound barrier. And the main character, played by Bronson, um, had figured out something that the others that had crashed before him just couldn't get. He thought that if he would get in this rocket and head toward the speed of sound, and when he got close to the speed of sound, he was going to do everything in reverse. In other words, those, those of you who know anything about flying, if you pull back on the stick, the nose is supposed to go up. The plane's supposed to climb. Well, he decided that if you pull back on the stick, the plane would go down. And if you push down on the stick, the nose of the plane would go up just the opposite of, of what was expected. Well, later on, after this movie came out, uh, Chuck Yeager, who was the first guy to break the sound barrier, said nothing about the movie was accurate. Uh, on the Internet, they have something like 98 different mistakes that were made in this particular movie, and that was one of them. 
the controls did not work in the opposite way. But it makes an excellent illustration of what uh, Jesus was doing in these words here in the Sermon on the Mount. A graphic illustration of these simple yet complex words. He's taking the controls and making them work backwards from what people were thinking. He's taking God's people through the sound barrier to a place that they have never been before. And the only thing most of us probably know about breaking the sound barrier is what? What? Makes a lot of noise. It goes boom, and everything shakes. Windows might break and all that. Well, some of Jesus' contemporaries probably thought, he's broken the sound barrier because there was a loud boom when he started teaching. Everything was turned upside down. That's the effect he had on the world. And this passage uh, and the following uh, passages that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks are called the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's his teachings, and it sets out the main uh, theme of Jesus' proclamation to the people. The first verses of Matthew 5 describe, I think, the true Christ follower, and they deal with character. They deal with character. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount looks at conduct that grows out of that character because, you see, Character always comes before conduct. Character always comes before conduct. What we are determines what we do. I think you'd have to agree that's the case. And Jesus, Jesus wanted to show that to the people that were following him and listening to his teaching. So in Matthew 5, 1 through 16, Jesus, Jesus shows us that the uh, true righteousness that we have is inward. It's internal. And then he says that sin, and he shows some sins following, he says that that sin also is internal. The Pharisees, you see, were teaching that sin was an outward thing. He's saying, no, it's, it, it starts in the heart. It's, it's your motivation is your heart. You've got a problem with your heart that brings out the sin. That's the paradox that we're looking at today. Um, the, the Pharisees taught that holiness and righteousness consisted of pious religious actions. In other words, it's what you do that makes you holy. It's not who you are, what you believe, how your heart, what shape your heart is in. It's the actions that you do that make you holy. And if you go away from here today not knowing one other thing I said than this, hear this. Righteousness, salvation, is not based on good works. We can't be good enough. We can't do good enough things to earn our salvation. It just simply does not work that way. I've heard a lot of people say of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, this is wonderful teaching, and it is. And they also say, gosh, if people would just do what it says here, if they would obey these commandments, the world would be a better place to live. But if we think of Jesus just sitting there on that hillside, by the way, the, 
the, the mount that we're talking about is 300 feet below sea level. It's not like way, way up there. It's, uh, it's even below sea level. And uh, as Jesus was sitting there talking to the people, he was telling them how to behave. That's essentially what he was, he was doing. We miss the point if we think that's all that he was doing, however. These blessings that he's uh, talking about, the good news that Jesus is announcing, they're not saying, try hard to live like this. These are not commandments. The Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament. These are not commandments. They are saying that people who are already living like this are in good shape. If you're already doing this, if you have a heart like this, you're good. (laughs) And uh, you need to be happy and celebrate. In some translations, they even even say, uh, instead of blessed, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, it says happy are the poor in spirit. The same uh, Greek word could be used both ways there. So Jesus isn't even saying that these are timeless truths that last throughout the ages. They're not truths about the world and about human behavior. If that's what he's saying, I think you would have to agree that, that that's probably wrong because mourners, look at, look at the Scripture, mourners often go away uncomforted. And meek people don't always inherit the earth. And those who long for justice, a lot of times they take that longing to the grave with them. It's never realized. No, in in this upside-down world, or perhaps it's a right-side-up world, whichever way you're looking at it, Jesus is saying that with his first coming, remember that from last week? With his first coming and with this work that he is doing, a whole new paradox is starting. And the Sermon on the Mount is an announcement, not a philosophical or analytical analysis of the world. These equations don't matter. They don't add up in Jesus' world. Doesn't, Doesn't make any difference whatsoever. It's all about something that's starting to happen and not about a general truth. It's the good news and not good advice. It's good news he has for us. Jesus said to his first disciples, follow me. Remember that? Follow me. Because in him, in Jesus, the living God was doing a brand new thing. And this list of good news items was part of his invitation and part of his summons, and part of his way of saying that God is at work in a new and fresh way. And this is what it looks like. And then he sets out to show us what it looks like. Jesus is beginning a new era for God's people in God's world. And from here on out, all the controls that the people thought that they knew were going to work just the opposite way. Nothing was going to be the same. And in our world today, there's still people who think that this concept of good news consists of success and wealth and happiness and long life and victory and battle. But those of us that are Christ followers know that's not always the case. 
And here Jesus is offering wonderful news. Wonderful news for those that are humble, for those that are poor, for those that are mourners, for those that are peacemakers. He's got wonderful news for them. God is acting in and through Jesus to turn this entire world upside down and inside out. Now, some of your Bibles there may even, may even have a title over this that says Beatitudes. That's what these are often referred to, Beatitudes. The word Beatitude, however, other than for this little title here, is not found anywhere in the Bible. It's not really a Greek word. It's a Latin word, beatus, and it means blessed, blessed. Or, as I told you earlier, it also means happy um, from the same root. These verses deal with attitudes that are, that are what we think in our hearts, that are our outlook, if you will, on life. Beatitudes. They are the attitudes that we ought to be. Beatitudes. If we are cr true Christ followers. And they are beatitudes, not do attitudes. There's a big difference. But the point here is not to offer a list or some sort of, of uh, people that God will bless. You know, you've got to be like this in order for God to bless you. The point is to announce God's new covenant with his people. If we look back in the Bible at Deuteronomy, we see God's people, God's people who came out of exile in Egypt. They crossed the water, the Red Sea. They came through the wilderness. For 40 years they came through the wilderness, and then God gave them a solemn covenant. In Deuteronomy 28, he, he laid out for them. He said, these are the blessings that would be theirs if they obeyed. And these would be the curses that would be theirs if they disobeyed. And now in Matthew, God's son is coming out of exile in Egypt. Remember, his family had to go to Egypt to flee Herod? Coming out of exile in Egypt. Baptized in the water of the Jordan River tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he begins a new covenant, his new covenant. And when will this covenant be completed? Well, last week we talked about that. It will not be completed until he comes again. We're in the in-between period between the already and the not yet. It will be completed when he comes for the second time. But until then, while we're still here carrying on in this present age, God commands us to pray. And what does he tell us to pray for? Well, one of the things he tells us we could pray for is that God's kingdom will come on earth just as it is in heaven. We want to see his kingdom here. We want to be part of his kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God that we talked about last week, the already and the not yet. And, and these beatitudes are the beginning of a summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's future because the future has already arrived in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's already here. Not quite complete, but it's already here.
so we can have all those things that were promised. So let's take a quick look at the, at the eight Beatitudes. That's what we're here for this morning. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What this is saying is we must be empty before we can be filled. You have to empty out before you can be filled. It's the opposite of self-sufficiency. Our sufficiency, you see, is not dependent on ourselves. We talk a lot in this country about the declaration of independence. Well, what God wants is a declaration of dependence. He wants us to be dependent on him. Look at, with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I should have marked these. 2 Corinthians <laughs> 3, 5, and 6. Okay. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant that we were just talking about. Not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. You see, the, the world promotes self-sufficiency, and God dwells with the person whose heart is broken. This doesn't mean any sort of false humility or cowardice or, or any of that. It means a proper attitude toward yourself, knowing who you are and knowing whose you are and knowing how you are to act because you are his. Realizing that we are weak and sinful apart from Christ. It's only in Christ that we can be sufficient. The second uh, beatitude is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And this is, as I, as I looked up this word, it's not mourning for um, someone that has died, for a lost loved one, or for something that you've lost. It's more mourning for sin, mourning for those who are in sin, or even sin in ourselves, to feel that mourning, a remorse uh, that really uh, breaks your heart, that really breaks your heart. See, we've become real careless with the sin thing. It's almost as if it doesn't exist anymore. One of the questions we ask in, in our alpha small groups is, well, is sin an outdated concept, or is it something that's still prevalent today? And we get some remarkable answers to that question. We excuse sin... And society, even, even churches, even churches run away from the word sin. Sin's not politically correct, you know, yet God hates it and it breaks his heart. Look, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And it says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. 
but worldly sorrow brings death. Sin breaks God's heart. The third beatitude is this, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in Matthew eleven twenty nine, if you want to turn right over there a few pages, let's back up to 28, 11, 28. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus was meek, yet he drove out the money changers in the temple. Moses was meek, but he faced down Pharaoh, and he confronted his brother Aaron when he was full of sin. Meekness, if we were to put, a, put it into a definition, I would say it, it means this. Meekness is not asserting my own rights, but living for the glory of God. Doesn't matter about me. It's not about me. It's about living for the glory of God. And though Christ followers are human, they're prone to be self-willed. All of us are. Uh, and we are to show meekness instead of that self-will. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 is a great verse to look at for that. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's meekness. Hunger is the next one. Um, hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. A true Christ follower has an insatiable appetite for spiritual things. And not just any spiritual things. There's a lot of spiritual things out there that are not of Christ. But we have an insatiable appetite for God the Father, for Jesus the Son, and for the Holy Spirit. Those three things. The next one is merciful. Um, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is not to be legalism in any way. It's merely saying that the Bible principle of sowing and then reaping is in play. If we show mercy because God has shown mercy to us, then we can expect to receive mercy. The Lord's Prayer says uh, we are to forgive as we forgive others. In the same way that we're forgiven, we are to forgive others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now notice that this one does not say sinlessness. It says pure in heart. It doesn't say without sin, because that's impossible. I think the verse that we have here is 1 John 1, 8. And it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
I was teaching a Bible study once, and, and this neat older lady said, you know, I used to sin, but I haven't sinned in years. And I thought, wow, <laughs> she may not have the concept, you know. I mean, we all do. We all do. We're not pure. We're not pure in our thoughts. We're not pure in our actions. We're not, we're not pure toward other people. You know, that, that verse is, is uh, followed up. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But it says God will cleanse us from our sin and make us totally righteous if we confess our sin. If we confess our sin to him. And if you want to find a, a little bit about the truth not in us, look at Psalm 51. It's one of David's most powerful psalms. The whole psalm is a great one to read. If you're in a place where you know that you've done something that you shouldn't do, maybe against another person, maybe against God, uh, read David's Psalm 51. And see what contrition, see what a contrite heart looks like. See what truth within yourself can do. So pure in heart means to be single-hearted and single-minded and not divided between God and the world. Jesus does more teaching on that in uh, the chapters to come as well. The next one is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Um, in some translations, it says children of God. And I even saw one translation where it says sons and daughters. But it, it really misses the point here because the son in the Jewish um, family is the one that gets the inheritance. The son is the one you want to be. I'm not being gender uh, funny here at all. I mean... I, uh, you want to be the son, and you'd like to be the first son because the first son gets a larger portion than the other sons do. But the daughters in the Jewish family get nothing at all. That's the, that's the point here. I'm not saying that women are not going to receive. They certainly will. But the point here was we'll be called sons of God. We will share in the inheritance. Can you imagine what that inheritance would look like if we are brothers and sisters with Christ through adoption, what is that inheritance to be? All the riches of the world. Everything, everything is at our disposal. We are as sons and daughters of God. Wow. What a, just, just a powerful statement. Um, Let's go to persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And this one's a little bit longer. It actually goes into verse 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Notice that it says when you're falsely accused, when false things are spoken against you because of, not because of yourself, but because of him. If you're carrying out your Christian duties, 
If you are a Christ follower and, follower and you're living the way that you know Christ followers are supposed to live, guess what? You're going to have some problems. The Bible promises us that. In John 16, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Some versions say tribulation, which sounds even worse than just trouble. I mean, mounds of trouble. You will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. So even in that trouble, there is an overcoming spirit. So, we're called to live upside down and inside out. And to believe, if you will, that all the controls that we know about are going to work exactly the opposite way from how we plan for them to. That doesn't look uh, right side up in this world. Sometimes we come away looking like we're upside down. But that's the way we're called to act. That's the way we're called to act. So I'm, I would challenge you as we leave today to try it. Just try to live the way that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at our behaviors. Try to live that way. And then listen for the sonic boom. It'll be there. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, first of all, for your teaching that comes to us through your son, Jesus, and through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die for us. We thank you that you give us trouble in this world. It's an honor and a privilege to be troubled for you. And Lord, we just pray that not so much that you would protect us, but that you would give us boldness to face the troubles that are out there. Lord, I, I pray specifically for each person who is here today. I just pray that you would uh, guide and direct their decisions. I don't care how small the decisions are, that they would come to you and seek your will and that they would think about the eternal consequences of the decisions that they make. Lord, we love you. And we know you love us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.